Well, if you will, please find a copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew 5. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1029. We are going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're about to hit a section uh, called the Six Antitheses. Uh, you've heard one thing, but i tell you another. And, uh, and, and it's going to be six weeks of stepping on toes, including my own. Uh, this is application directed right at our hearts. And I have been confessing my sin all week long in the area of anger, especially knowing that I had to preach on it Sunday. Uh, there was a day of reckoning when I had to get up here and talk about anger. Um, so let's go to the Lord and ask Him for His help as we look at His Word. Lord, we need this. For Father, uh, if we're honest, we have a lot of anger in our hearts. And we need Your help. So Father, as we look at Your Word, I pray that by Your Spirit You would change us and point us to our need for Jesus. And it's in His name we ask it. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Hear now the Word of the Lord. And you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. You know, the reality is that we make a lot of excuses for our anger, don't we? We come up with all sorts of excuses and ways to justify our outbursts, that all-consuming process of ruminating on it in our hearts and our minds. We excuse our little passive-aggressive jabs at one another. You know, oftentimes we're content to live with a, a certain amount of animosity towards one another. And we don't see our bitterness, our resentment, and fury as things to be dealt with. We're okay with the amount at which we yell at our kids or spouses, thinking, hey, you know, at least I didn't throttle their necks like I really wanted to. You know, the reality is when we rationalize our sinful anger, we fall right into the same pattern that the scribes and Pharisees did during Jesus' day. And that's what Jesus is addressing in our text. And that is lowering the bar of God's perfect law, making it seem like we really aren't as bad as we really are. Jesus deals with the excuses of the Pharisees and our own head on in our text this morning, as we see in verses 21 and the beginning of 22. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What's he talking about here? Well, Jesus is not changing the, the law of God. He's not reinterpreting the law of God. He's not applying it to a deeper level that Moses didn't know about. The law has always been about our hearts, not just our physical actions. 
Instead, he is correcting a watering down that had become prevalent during Jesus' day, and indeed, I would say, our own and certainly in our hearts. And that's that God only deals with external actions. That as long as we don't act on something, it is not sin. The title of this sermon is a rather provocative one. Have you murdered anyone today? Right. See, for this group of people, the Pharisees had reinterpreted the law so as to make it easier for them to obey. And in their mind, if they made it easier to obey, they could then earn their salvation not needing a Savior. Now, we all know you can't earn your salvation. And one of those reasons is because we can't fully obey the law of God, as we see in this one. So Jesus quotes the common teaching of the day. You have heard it of old. You have heard it said. And he begins by quoting... Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5 with a sixth commandment. Look, it's wrong to murder. And we would all agree with that, right? That's one thing that we can come down together on. It's wrong to murder. But then he goes on to say, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, I think we can agree on that one too. If you murder someone, that's bad. And hell is deserved. It's not what was said that was the problem, it was what's not said. Indeed, when Jesus says, hey, you've heard this said, you will never find that quote in Scripture. You'll find, do not murder, and you'll find that our sin deserves hell. But you'll never find that phrase that he just uttered in Scripture. It was a common saying. Because in saying it, it's important what they weren't saying. How are you liable to judgment? If you murder someone. The reality is it goes much further than that because it turns out there are ways of murdering others that don't involve bearing the hatchet in someone else's back. I would imagine that if we said that the Sixth Commandment only dealt with the actual unlawful taking of someone's life, then, you know, we're doing pretty well on that one. Probably not a lot of murderers here, at least from a capital murder kind of way. But Jesus quickly turns us on its head saying that sinful anger deserves the exact same penalty, eternal judgment in hell. There ought to be a bit of a, uh uh-oh, when I read that. The same exact judgment is deserved from sinful anger as murder. Now, Jesus is not saying that... uh, All anger is sin. Indeed, there is such a thing as righteous sin or righteous indignation. We see Jesus get mad with folks. He gets mad with the money changers in the temples. He gets or temple. He gets mad at uh, at his disciples, uh, hypocrites. Um, And I think we should be righteously indignant or angry when others are mistreated. The wholesale slaughter of children is tolerated under the guise of medicine. It should make us throw up. And when the old, the infirm, and the immigrant are victimized because they have no voice, those things should make us angry. They make God angry. So righteous indignation is getting angry at the things that God gets angry at. But if we're um, honest, our anger usually isn't righteous. And sometimes it might even start out righteous and then quickly it turns into something else completely. Most of the time, my anger has more to do with being inconvenienced. Others actually obeying the speed limit on Belleville. 
feeling like the cable company is taking advantage of me, when an Amazon package doesn't arrive, when did two-day delivery become something that was expected in the norm, and yet we get upset? When my children are disobedient, when my schedule gets full, our anger rarely looks like God, but is usually focused on minor snubs by others, sometimes perceived and sometimes real. When others disrespect us, perceived or real, when we don't get our way. If we're honest about the anger in our lives, rarely does it meet that standard of righteous indignation. Somewhere along the way, we as a culture have confused the idea that in order to take something seriously, you have to get angry. Let me say that again. Somewhere along the way in our culture, we have confused the idea that in order to take something seriously, you must get angry. How do you know that someone is taking something seriously? By how much anger they are venting. When in reality, anger is not the mark of taking things seriously. But indeed, sinful anger only clouds the issue and hinders a godly response to someone or something that needs our attention. This is why it's wrong to discipline in our anger. Right? It's so easy to lash out at our children when we're angry. We've got to cool down first. Otherwise, we're going to do things we regret. When's the last time that we've looked back at words we said in anger and thought, oh man, I sure am glad I said that? Rarely, right? We usually regret those things. Jesus says that sinful anger that we let fester in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts is serious. I mean, it's better than going and killing folks in the sense that it involves fewer people and hurting them. But in in terms of deserving God's wrath and punishment in this life and the next, it, it deserves the same punishment. Sometimes it looks like hot rage, right? Those who just blow up. Those are easy to identify. But, you know, there can be a clam up kind of anger as well, that that, that raging furor in your heart that you don't let out. And it's like a nuclear reactor feeding on itself, those, those fuel rods fueling, fueling the problem and the, the fervor in our hearts. Or it could just be a spirit of irritability. You know, just always ready to point out something wrong or to be upset at someone's failures or mistakes. That's sinful Anger. Why is it so bad? Well, 1 John 3.15 puts it real clearly for us. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Not a lot of wiggle room there. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So I ask you the question again. Have you murdered anybody today? See, Jesus goes on in 22b. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You know, our sinful anger and our thoughts and our emotions, they give rise to outer manifestations of our anger. We went to buy a pinata for Thomas's birthday party a couple years ago. It was a Darth Vader uh, pinata. I mean, there's something really righteous about taking a baseball bat to Darth Vader, you know. Now, we get it home, and we fill it with candy, and it says on the box, 
take ribbons and pull. I got to tell you something, that's not how a pinata is supposed to happen. See, Walmart, in all their wisdom, has decided that we're too violent as a culture. And so they say, you're not supposed to hit these things anymore. Instead, there are about a dozen or so ribbons at the bottom of this Darth Vader pinata. And one of them is attached to the trap door. And so the kids, you know, wailing as they don't get to hit Darth Vader, they're supposed to take a ribbon and everyone takes a turn pulling it. Now, sometimes our anger is like reacting to those ribbons. Someone can pull a ribbon and it won't affect us. But finally, the right thing happens. And all that turmoil that has been roiling inside of us suddenly just comes spewing out. And whatever was in that pinata of our hearts comes spewing out and whoever's before us. Have you ever had that happen before? You know, when we don't deal with the sinful anger that is in our hearts, it will spew out as a toxin into our relationships. And sometimes ways that aren't even related to our anger. Jesus says then to insult others, but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, makes us liable to judgment. The Greek word here, and perhaps some of your translations might say it, is raka. And it especially refers to having contempt for someone's thinking or mental abilities. It means idiot or blockhead or I can't believe you'd do something like that. I know you've never said something like that. But equally bad is to have contempt for someone's character. Like when we say fool. Now in the Old Testament, fool had a much deeper meaning than it does in our culture. It it meant not just to make unwise decisions. It it meant to be cut off from the people of God. To be corrupt. To be outside of God's people. Psalm 14.1 describes the fool well. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. We've got to be careful calling folks fools. What is the penalty for such an outflowing? And You know this outflowing, as we read in Luke 6, uh, comes from our, our hearts, right? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Uh, what's the old saying? Um, I'm sorry I, I didn't mean that. And what we really ought to say is, I'm sorry I said what I meant. Because uh, the reality is that when we speak, it usually comes straight from our hearts. Jesus said that the penalty of insulting and hating and the sinful anger is the fire of hell. You'll see in your um, ESV or whatever translation you use, most likely there's a footnote here, and it says that it refers to Gehenna. Now, Gehenna really did mean hell by this point, so this isn't some escape for not believing in the biblical doctrine of hell. But originally, it referred to the valley that was outside of the city gates of Jerusalem on the south and southwest side. And it was a terrible place. Back under some of the really bad kings in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice their infant sons upon um, uh, red-hot idols in their arms. And the word Gehenna referred to the sound of the cries of the infants as they died. Now that ought to make you mad. And so the good king Josiah put an end to it. And in order to desecrate what had been a holy site under pagan religion, 
they started throwing all their garbage and dead bodies of animals and eventually the remains of executed criminals. And in order to keep all this matter from growing up and getting too much, they would keep burning fires constantly going in the valley of Gehenna. By the time that Christ came, it had come to be used to refer to what you and I deserve in hell forever, to the literal hell. Do you remember those schoolyard words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? What lies? What lies? You know, the thing about bones is they will heal. But the impact of words lasts for a long, long time. Well, how should we respond? If you're like me, I've been dealt with with this text all week uh, as I seek to be a, a godly husband and a godly father and a godly pastor and just a disciple of Christ. I'm constantly amazed at my ability just to just be irritable and for my anger to pop up in ways that I didn't even know it was there. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is we repent. That's the first step, is realizing that, hey, I have a problem with anger, and, uh, and I need help. Lord, forgive me. But really, anger is but a symptom of a deeper issue. And the dip- deeper issue is our heart. Right? There are practical ways to deal with anger. Come and talk to me. I've got some helpful practical ways because I've had to employ them in my life. Let's talk about that. But, but ultimately, it's, it's a heart issue. Um, you know, we've forgotten just how much we've been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 puts it really clearly. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. When we forget how much we have been forgiven, we'll be angry at all sorts of folks for not living up to our standards. But when we realize and are reminded the depth of God's love for us and how much He has paid for our sins and how much we've been forgiven of, we'll cut others a lot more slack because Christ has paid the penalty for us on the cross. The greater our knowledge of our own sin and the forgiveness that God has given to us, the more apt we will be to forgive others and to bear with others when they just make us angry. We're also reminded of the example of our Savior If anyone had the right to righteous indignation at being mistreated, it was God Almighty as He walked on this earth as the God-man Jesus. He was beat, He was spat upon, He was mocked, He was ridiculed, He was crucified, and He was killed. And yet, did He respond in anger? No. 1 Peter 2.23 tells us, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Lord, give me that kind of life. Well, Jesus now is going to make a, a shift in verses 23 on. Jesus now is going to move past the need to fight the anger in our hearts and our lives, and now he's going to talk about the importance of reconciliation. And he has two very. Um, descriptive illustrations to show us that really living at peace with others should be a priority in our lives, at least as much as it is up to us. 
But what is interesting about these two illustrations is it is not that when someone is sinned against you, you go and talk to them. Now, that's in Matthew 18. That's there. If there's something that someone has done against you and you really can't get over it and really need to talk to them about it, you go and do it. The prescription is right there in Matthew 18. This is a harder prescription. Because he says, if someone is mad at you, you have to go and talk to them. I don't, I don't really like that. That's a whole lot harder. Um, as one commentator put it, we not only have the duty not to murder others in our hearts, we also have the duty to help others not murder us in theirs. The first context is that of brothers and sisters in worship. Verse 23 and verse 24 tell us, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What's the picture here? Well, the picture is of someone entering the temple courts, bearing a freewill offering from the Lord. And as he goes to present his offering, he remembers that someone, one of his brothers and sisters in the Lord, has something against him. So God commands him to hit pause on his offering and go and be reconciled to that brother and then come back. Then come back and continue his offering. Why? Because sinful anger impedes and inhibits the worship of our God. And as we come to the Lord together as God's people, having been reconciled to Him, we are similarly to be reconciled one to the other. We are worshiping together as God's people, not just individually. And when there's that toxin of unforgiveness within the body of Christ, terrible things happen. God is not glorified, and the effect on the corporate body of Christ can be tremendous, especially the longer it festers. You know, this is a hard one. Because it means that both parties are called to seek reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is not always possible. But as far as we are able to go about it, not putting ourselves in unwise situations and not putting ourselves back in harmful situations, we are to mend those broken fences. I think one of the most powerful ways that we can do this is going up to someone and saying, Have I, have I sinned against you in any way? If you really feel like someone is cold towards you, if someone is giving you the cold shoulder, doesn't have anything to do with you, a great way to clear the air is say, hey brother, hey sister, have I, have I sinned against you in any way? I just, I just want to make sure we're okay. And that can have an amazing impact on your relationship with that person. Well, that's the easy one. The harder one then is that we have also a duty to those whom we would count as our enemies. Verse 25 and 26 tell us, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The picture here is of going to court. The word accuser here uh, refers especially and specifically to an opponent in a lawsuit, someone who is suing you. And Jesus says, hey, if possible, beforehand, seek to reconcile with this person. Come to terms before it even comes to the court. This is reflected in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. So how do we apply these things? 
Are we seeking to live peaceful lives with others as far as it depends on us? Are our interactions with others, our children, our spouses, our coworkers, our parents, our employees, our teachers, our waitresses, our other drivers, the cable guy, and your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you seeking to live peaceably with them, overlooking offenses, bearing with them in love, and not allowing yourselves to have sinful anger against them? Certainly we can see how this text gets us quickly to Jesus and our need for him. See, Christ is reestablishing the bar of God's law. It's, it's been there the whole time. It had just been reinterpreted in unhelpful ways by Pharisees. It deals with our hearts, not just our actions. And then again, it points us into a corner showing us that we stand condemned, guilty, liable to judgment, indicted before God. And we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Not only for forgiveness, but also for help in obeying the command not to murder each other in our hearts. Lord, help me. See, because of our sin, we originally were not at peace with God. Indeed, we were counted His enemies under His wrath. Righteously, He was angry at us. But here's the amazing news of the gospel. That God Himself was born as a little baby boy. Fully God, fully man. Walking this earth, living the life that we cannot fully fulfilling God's law. Can you imagine he never got sinfully angry? I can't even imagine what that life must have been like. He never got sinfully angry. He did this as, as to apply that record for us. And then he went and he was mocked and he was beaten. Did he get angry? No. Because that was his plan because he loved lawbreakers like you and me. Why would he love us? We have no explanation. He loved us with His great love and He paid for our sins on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God, punished and crushed for our iniquities and for our transgressions. And after the crowds had had their fun, after they'd mocked Him, faithful disciples came and took His body off the cross, laying it in a borrowed tomb. And praise God, that tomb was empty. Praise God. And so we read in Colossians 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. My friends, Christ has come to bring peace between God and you, and he has paid the price. And having saved us, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us, to enable us to walk in His statutes, saying no to anger and love to God and others. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the convicting power of Your Word. And Lord, we confess anew our tolerance of anger in our hearts. Help us then, Lord, to keep short accounts with You and others seeking reconciliation that the gospel might go forth in our lives and our community. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.